what to do when your animal, dog or cat, accidentally ingests one of the, as we're going to call it, the seven deadly sins. The Pet Health and Happiness Podcast from Bella and Duke, keeping you at the cutting edge of pet nutrition, behavior and health with expert interviews, mythbusters and more to ensure your pet lives a long, happy, healthy life. The top searched terms or foods that animals accidentally eat, they include chicken bones, chocolate, grapes, ibuprofen, paracetamol, onions, and garlic. Now, there's a myth buster in there, but hang on fire until the end to find out which one. Um, Dr. Brendan, my goodness me, do we see questions about this? How often? Oh, uh, yeah, lots. I mean, and not just um, on your forum, but across the veterinary industry, you know, the number of times. It's great that people are starting to understand um, which things can actually be toxic to our pets. Um, but, you know, it's it's so often that we get, you know, because these are readily um, accessible things, usually on the counter top, that uh, you know pets will suddenly come across and investigate, and before you know it, people are panicking and on the end of the phone. So it's probably great that we can get this across in a short video. Yeah, absolutely. And let's face it, some of these are actually healthful ingredients to humans, and might just be mixed into normal foodstuffs, and unwittingly you can you know ingest your pets with them. So let's take it from the top. Doctor Brendan, chicken bones. All right. So this is really important to understand that actually in a raw form, if it's size appropriate for your pet, i.e. you've got a reasonably uh, large animal um, that's eating them, then chicken bones realistically are not a problem in a raw form. Now, there are a couple of things. Now, I always used to talk about if you cook the bone, um, then things change. And I always used to talk about fat being set in the bone and that the water repels from it and the digestive process just can't get in there. We've got to remember that actually the main constituent component to bone is protein. It is effectively the matrix which holds the calcium in place, which is laid down by little cells within the structure of the bone. Okay, these osteocytes, uh, which are the, the little cells that create that environment of the, the structure of the bone around them, they are constantly remodeling that. That bone is not a set structure. It is constantly evolving and growing depending on the load. Now, around it, they create this protein. When you cook that protein, that can set it into a really hard Form. You know, these mild reactions that happen that we talk about with processed foods will happen um, with the bone. And that sets again, makes it indigestible, makes it hard, inflexible, and then it becomes a physical danger to the animal that's ingesting it. Right. So for those of you who don't have a biochemistry degree or Dr. Brendan's passion, let me cut to the chase. Raw bones, good. Not so raw bones, not good. Why? Because they become brittle and can become a choking hazard. Next point, chocolate. Now, Devil's understanding, food, not all chocolates are created equal, are they? No, uh, absolutely not. I mean, the majority of chocolate that's on the supermarket shelf, I'm afraid to say, is vegetable. okay? It is a, uh, a brown vegetable fat 
colored with um, and, and flavored uh, in a chocolate fashion. Um, and so it is actually a part of chocolate called theobromine, which actually is the toxic issue. Okay, uh, in in my pets, uh, dogs and cats, it can cause them to have rapid heart rates, even collapse because they, you know, go into a tachycardia, uh, an excess rate that just can't keep up the blood flow. So, it is something to be concerned about, but it's all about proportion of dose of that particular part of theobromine. So you According need to, to the kilograms of your your pets. Yes. So you've got to look at the um, the concentration of cocoa solids within the chocolate is so vitally important. So if you are ever concerned that your dog or cat has eaten chocolate, the first thing to do is try and find the wrapper or find online the the contents of the chocolate that they've eaten okay because there's obviously there's another way of finding the ingredients and look straight to the percent cocoa solids which will give us an indication of the theobromine levels within those and when you phone your vet you need to give them an estimate of how big your dog or cat is how much of the material they've eaten and what percent concentration of cocoa solids was within that. Yep. If you can give those three things, that will speed up their processing of have they reached a high risk level of toxicity or not. Okay, cool. So let's just quickly recap on that because some absolute golden nuggets. What we're going to say, or really critically for your vet to be able to help you as soon as possible, you should know the body weight of your pet, how much they've ingested, and the percentage of cocoa solids which are in the chocolate that's been ingested. Absolutely. Those are really helpful, you know, startup lines. And just to give you the consequences uh, in those circumstances, if it's high cocoa solids, um, you know, we're looking at, you know, 100 grams of dark 70% chocolate, okay, for a 10 kilo dog can be really severely effective uh, for giving them uh, extreme tachycardias and restlessness and, you know, um, you know, even collapse. So it is something that if you're getting to that level with extremely dark chocolate, okay, absolutely, you should be calling the vet on the way to them, okay, with a view to trying to get them to evoke emesis, which is effectively make them sick with a, um, a drug. Uh, there are licensed drugs to do this now um, to effectively get that chocolate out. So especially if you know that that chocolate has been eaten within an hour um, you know, of, of your call, of your finding it, you know, that is absolutely get down there, get them to be sick. Up to four hours later, we've still been able to get them to, to be sick and get rid of the chocolate. Um, uh, and that can be really important. You know, I've had chihuahuas that have eaten, um, you know, chocolate orange um, size amounts over Easter. Um, and you sort of like, you know, those are definitely, even though it's a much less dense cocoa solids within something like that it is a um uh important to make them sick to get rid of that sort of quantity for a little okay. tiny dog and ju just because not everybody lives very close to the vet and i'm not saying you should ever do this instead of i'm wondering as well as 
Um, would you ever recommend maybe giving force feeding your dog some activated charcoal to try and prevent absorption from the gut, or is that something to steer again, steer away? Steer, from? steer again. So this may be given post making them sick, okay? okay? But actually, all that you're going to be doing is complicating the uh, whole process of getting rid of the chocolate. So the first thing for the vet to evaluate is. Is the level toxic enough that they need to make them sick? And if they do, they'll make them sick. And then to talk about activated charcoal post that to try and reduce any further absorption that may be lower down the gut. Great. Well, thank you for that, Brendan. Um, okay. Number three. Grapes. Oh, my goodness. Now, am I correct in thinking? that it's still not exactly scientifically fully understood why grapes can be toxic to kidneys and liver of our pets. Yeah, and, and this is uh, evident in the number of theories that are out there about why grapes are toxic. Um, you know, from is it the, the mycotoxin, the, the molds that grow on certain grapes? Um, is it the things that grapes are sprayed with to, um, you know, keep the molds from growing to, to let them last longer in the stores? Which um, is really concerning, isn't it? When you think that we're eating them, is it yeah. more sensitive because the small winners? It's like, holy moly. Um, and the other complexity to this is, is the kidney problems that occur from grape ingestion, and this does occur in, in different cases, it's a cumulative um, effect. So, you know, if you're, you know, there's people that say, well, I've fed my dog grapes for years, you know, they've had a grape here and there. Um, and actually, yeah, and they've coped, but then all of a sudden they've gone over the edge at the end of their lives and had kidney failure. And actually, was that a cumulative effect of you not realizing? Because they're not going to suddenly choke and fall over dead from a grape. What's going to happen is that they will slowly debilitate. And you only need a quarter of your kidney function to actually survive quite happily. So, you know, you could have knocked off 75% of their kidneys with those grapes you've been given and not really known it, but you're putting them at risk of other health implications, putting them over the edge at the end of their lives. And that's something that if we can avoid, we should avoid. Yeah, so 100%. And it's so funny you say that I have so many human clients and, um, <clears throat> patients in the functional medicine nutrition clinic who say well i've always done this i've done this for years and what they don't realize is they have been effectively spending on their health credit card until they've reached the bank just because you don't see the physical symptoms straight away doesn't mean it's not happening behind the scenes not everything manifests itself straight away yeah. um, so not, there's not always an instant one-in, one-out type thing. So, yeah, it's really important to be aware that, one, grapes are just totally avoidable for pets. Absolutely. Not, well, not unnecessary. A blueberry or a raspberry. Yeah, absolutely. Not a necessary fruit to give, um, you know, and ultimately, you know, they're, they're really sugar-rich. You know, they're, they're little sweets to us, um, which are not necessarily the best thing to be taking on loads of sugars, but it is, um, you know, not a necessary um, great improvement to your 
you know your general antioxidant intake um if you look at just the the whole grape with all of the sugars and everything that's in it and i would just then say you know i was talking to one of my great friends about this and we used to say look if it was one or two grapes we would just say look really don't worry don't panic um but you know we are warned that it's a cumulative effect and if they've been doing that on a regular basis then actually it is more important and if the dog is really small it is really important and then we've got to impress upon people this includes things like sultanas and raisins and currants um you know which are all you know, just effectively all of the water drawn out, but all of the things that are on the grape or in the grape still in it. Yeah, so, in fact, they're more dangerous because it's yeah. more intense. Um, so raisin sultanas currants are very much included in this uh, as they're simply dried grapes. Cool. Um, next, this one's obviously, uh, in my opinion, quite tricksy. Uh, ibuprofen and paracetamol. Now, holy moly, uh, how scary is it if your pet ever eats any human medication full stop? But let's tease this one out. Okay, let's tease this one out. So I think we should split them apart because they yep. are different drugs and they yes. work differently. Yep. And, you know, um, I think the first thing to understand is ibuprofen falls into a drug class called non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. Okay. NSAIDs. NSAIDs. Now, different NSAIDs have different toxicities to different species. And, you know, although, uh, and there are so many on the market because they will vary between individuals as to how effective they are for pain relief. Um, and anti-inflammatory processes. So, you know, that, that's why there are so many on the market um, available to, for human use. Now, the thing that you've got to understand is that, yes, there are loads of classes of NSAIDs used in our dogs and cats. However, we do know some of them are quite toxic. And at 10 milligrams per kilogram, so that is a 100 milligram tablet would be toxic, as in life threatening to a 10 kilogram dog. OK, then that is something to be aware of. Looking again at the dose that's there and I'm, I, I've seen 600 milligram ibuprofen tablets available, um, you know, over the counter in Spain, uh, and you've got to understand that actually that's a 60 kilo dog's worth of toxicity sat on the shelf. And if you've got a blister pack of 10, holy moly, you're in the stuck as far as, you know, toxicity levels. So yeah. as with all medicines, you should be keeping them safe away from your children, away from, you know, uh, uh, pets, you know, keep them locked in a cabinet wherever possible. Um, those are the things to um, remember with those. You know, we, we all have seen the cases where I, I talk from the veterinary profession where people have said, oh, my dog just got into the handbag and I had a strip of, um, you know, tablets uh, and, they don't know how many was left because they've maybe taken a few out for themselves. And, you know, it was like a part use strip and they'd forgotten when they put it in and how many were left. Um, but it is 
kidney toxic. So these animals may well need to come, if we don't know the actual dose, may need to come in on a drip. They may have been made to be sick to get rid of any tablets that are there. They'll have been given loads of oral medications like activated charcoal we mentioned earlier to stop absorption of the drug um, and then put on drips to try and flush the kidneys and keep the perfusion of the kidneys to the maximum for even three days post the toxic event. Okay, so really intensive. So that's how toxic ibuprofen can be to dogs. Okay, guys, I think that the, if I was to gently summarize this, is we have available some really potent drugs which can be very toxic to our pets. So, in the spirit of loving your pet and looking after them, one, please, please, please keep these things as far out of hand as possible. Just because they're readily available doesn't mean that they're not readily toxic. Those two things are not mutually exclusive. Next, never, ever guess. Get your vet involved in this straight away. I know that I've actually called and thank you, thank you from all of our family, Dr. Brendan, on a couple of occasions when Kismet has veered off piste with various medications or things she's found on the beach and you know everybody's going to feel better if you just double check on this so you know i think never underestimate it or never underestimate your power to change things for the positive just by taking a couple of quick action steps so should we deal with paracetamol separately because yeah, that's, you know, that's something that's that's also needs to be looked at so yep. um for dogs, um, paracetamol is actually a licensed drug. There is a licensed drug for paracetamol. Um, and the dosage roughly um, is about 500 milligrams per 16 kilos. Uh, for So I know it sounds a bit odd, but that's roughly the dosage that's um, given up to twice daily for paracetamol. Now, okay. so if they had an odd tablet and they were of that weight. So a classic um, tablet is 500 milligrams. If they come across that um, uh, drug and they have an odd tablet, don't panic, call your vet, as Rowan has quite rightly said, and check with them what the situation is. Because there's individual essences there that if they have liver disease, on the license, it states quite clearly, if they've got impaired liver function, you need to be really cautious about these drugs, which actually are detoxed through the liver. Yep. Okay. So those are the exceptional circumstances. So getting your vet involved is really, really important. But they may advise you in the knowledge of your pet's health, what is a safe dose? OK, so don't just automatically assume it's bad if they need it for pain relief. Um, you know, some other reason they should give you the absolute dose. If they come across it accidentally, just double check with your vet. Certainly if it's a strip of them. As we said about the handbag scenario, please contact your vet. You probably should be on your way down for them to be made sick to get rid of those tablets. Okay. That's why, and one of these simple things is always follow Dr. Brendan's uh, uh, measure twice, cut once approaches. He always travels with his handbag zipped. His medicine's back. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? So, 
Um, that's that's cats very slightly different. Could I just say about cats? Please. Okay. Um, yes, please. yes, yes, yes. Really important. Uh, cats' livers really are not set up very well to deal with paracetamol. Okay. So super toxic to cats. Uh, however, if you've ever tasted paracetamol, it's pretty foul. Yeah. And there are very few animals that will volunteer to take them unless you've flavored them or you've dissolved them in a appetizing bone broth or, or other drink. Um, and, you know, because there are dissolvable options these days because we, we hate the flavor, so we flavor it ourselves. And before you know it, your cat's drinking that drink. Okay, so, you know, really important to understand if, if you've got that scenario, please get your cat to the vet as soon as. Okay. So I'm going to just quickly throw in a swerve ball. And ladies and gentlemen, uh, dogs, cats, hamsters, and anybody else who happens to be listening, one of the things we didn't mention in the seven deadly sins of things accidentally ingested, uh, which isn't Googled, but suddenly occurred to me that we should be really aware of, is dried pet food, uh, vet approved or not, uh, also known as kibble. If your dog or cat ingests this or is accidentally given it by some well-meaning individual, first of all, politely explain to the individual that it kills dogs and cats slowly and should never be given. And secondly, always ensure they have some raw food to hand uh, whenever they're hungry. I think that's, we don't Google it, but let's face it, that is definitely a slow, unwanted, chronic, symptom-ridden death, which is totally avoidable. Uh, that's my opinion, not Bella and Jukes. I am willing to stand by that. Love it. Ditch the dry. Ditch the dry, yes. Um, okay, so these two things should also be dealt with separately. Uh, onions and garlic. Yeah, so of the same family of plants, okay, interestingly. Yes. Um, so this is really important. So uh, we know that onion, even in its cooked form, so this comes with food waste where people will food leftover stews and, you know, bolognaises and things like that to their pets, you know, that have onion in, okay? Even curry, I've had people feed curry to their pets that's full of onion, okay? Um, just please remember there is a chemical within onion which can actually cause the blood cells to actually crumple and be destroyed um, and so we see this um, in dogs with toxicity i've had a coleslaw toxicity believe it or not yeah it obviously shredded onion within that coleslaw um, and you know people just not aware but also you can get them where the um, hemoglobin just stops being able to pick up um, the oxygen uh, and they actually start to, to effectively suffocate through the um, met hemoglobin, a, a binding of their um, uh, hemoglobin to not be able to take up oxygen. Okay, so say for instance, uh, one of our cats or dogs accidentally ingests onion, what's the best way forward so it's really obviously about amounts okay if it was a slither i may not be too concerned and there's a few things we talked about where it may be just a case of giving them some liquid charcoal or something like that i think if it's a lot more uh, than that or it's uh, you know all of a sudden 
a family member gave the animal a load of bolognese and didn't realize how much onion you'd put in it, okay, um, then please, as we've said before, call your vet. It will be a visit. It will be at least making them sick. Act as soon as you can. Don't think, oh, well, I'll just deal with it in the morning, okay? Um, act as soon as you can and get them into the vet. Do you know, th this is one of these classic things that very, very well-intentioned people, whether pet owners or non-pet owners, uh, do. You think, oh, well, they deserve something. They look hungry. They're sitting around the table. They want this. Remember, we are, and this is always surprises me, this level of responsibility is we're the adults in charge. We're meant to know better. And just because your pet looks longingly at your curry or at this lamb dish with onions in or whichever doesn't mean it's good for them. So we talk a lot about zoo pharmacognosy and pets understanding what's good for them, what's not. You know, there are goats who live next door to me in the farm who are convinced that a rubber Wellington boot is good for them or a piece of barbed wire or whichever. I can assure there's no nutrition in that. Yeah. Uh, in fact, there's lots of toxins in that. So please, onions, never underestimate, okay? Um, so the garlic is a separate issue. And this is, is really interesting. And a great friend of mine, uh, Connor Brady, pointed out uh, an article um, that actually looked at the toxicity um, you know, story for garlic. Where did it come from? And it was because there was a paper written, um, I think about 20 years ago, um, where they looked at the toxicity level and they proved that, yes, garlic could be toxic. Yeah. But actually, what it came down to was feeding 20 cloves, okay, to a 10 kilo dog for seven days. Yeah. Okay. So that's not 20 cloves over seven days. That's 20 cloves a day for seven days. Yeah. Um, and, and that's an extreme amount. I mean, that's not just a garlic bulb. That's like two bulbs, if not three, a well, day for a 10 kilo dog. If I mean, we take a jump out on this for a second. And Connor is so correct. I love the way that Connor always dives down into the research and actually tries a little squirrel around. Um, it's, I mean, I would defy anybody to eat 20 cloves of garlic a day for the first 10 days. I mean, yes, you would be utterly vampire-proof for the rest of your life. <laughs> May have a slight accent after. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible amount of garlic. So thank you for bringing that up, Brenda. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so I think, you know, because uh, we talk about it all the time and some of the health benefits that it can bring, because it can help modulate what's happening with your gut flora. Um, it has some antibiosis effects. It has some immunostimulatory effects. Um, I think excess amounts should be avoided, absolutely, as we've just stated, but small amounts can be beneficial, uh, can have antiparasitic effects, you know, all sorts of things that are there. So, you know, um, and it's therefore one of the most commonly asked questions, um, certainly, well, isn't garlic toxic to our pets? And I think we've got to, you know, give that in proportion. I think actually there's quite a lot of foods we could name uh, that are toxic in excess. Um, and so oh, no, no, no. liver, which is yeah. one of the most nutri nutrient dense uh, foodstuffs on the planet for our pets. And yet in excess could be very, very challenging, uh, which is why we have it in specific ratios. And I mean, uh, 
the Romans obviously knew the benefits of garlic, protecting them from parasites and pathogenic bacteria. They created black garlic, which is obviously very slow cooked. And it, I think it's 10 to 100 times the level of antioxidants of normal garlic, which meant they could pretty much go wherever they wanted around Europe and kind of near Asia, uh, impervious to various um, various illnesses. So good on them. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think with garlic, we can put the gavel down and say, really, the poison is in the dose. Please, obviously, never feed 20 cloves a day for your or your pet's sanity. But I think that's a bit of a myth buster. Garlic isn't toxic to your pets unless used in ridiculous amounts. Absolutely. Great. Well, I think we've covered that. Uh, please, please give us your feedback on these podcasts. Uh, there is going to be a survey coming out on uh, what you would like to see in our podcast. These podcasts aren't for us, they're for you. Uh, and what we're trying to do, as ever, is empower you to make really informed, sensible decisions, cut through some of the myths, cut through some of the dogma, and actually just do the best by your pets. Uh, it's all supposed to be fun and helpful. If there are topics you'd like to hear more of, if there are topics you'd like to hear less of, and please feel free to share them and invite people to the group. Uh, everybody's welcome um, if you love pets, if you don't, jog on. So um, on that note, uh, we need to say uh, a big thank you. Please keep this in to Chris Harrison, our awesome and tireless and very patient um, filmmaker and editor, um, and to Andrew. Andrew, who works tirelessly in content, who is now happily a dad. I want to say congratulations to Andrew and his new family. On that note, how, how could you feel better about life than that? Pets, great filmmakers, and glorious families. Everybody, have an amazing weekend. Please share the love. Uh, wishing you well. Peace out. <laughs>